Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. Our guest for this episode is filmmaker Eli Pike. Eli, his wife Kelly, and their two young children have built a life around filmmaking and being a family while living on the road off and on. In the process, they've produced two autobiographical documentaries about how they've processed life while living on the road. This interview was recorded in February of 2020. Eli is joining us from inside a Winnebago motorhome in the southern desert of Arizona. In this episode, we discuss the ups and downs of living full-time in an RV on the road and what it's like to be a traveling filmmaker. Eli talks about the first episode of The Far Green Country and discusses how learning to mourn the death of his father led to the second. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. And now I present my conversation with filmmaker Eli Pike. All right, I'm excited to have my friend, filmmaker Eli Pike on American Podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Eli. Thank you, Shane. I'm thankful to be on it. So you've been out on the road for a while with your family. Um, how's that been? Oh, there's been some really sweet times and some challenging times. Um, it's definitely not vacation, but it is an adventure. You know, we, we get to wake up to sunrises in beautiful places. We hike a lot. We bike a lot. Um, I sit on a, in a really cramped space in the back bedroom trying to edit video uh, a, in about uh, three square feet. Um, and, um, often we're on, uh, uh, water conservation efforts to try and, um, go, go as many nights as we can without having to, uh, fill our, our water tank and dump our gray and black tanks. So it's a, it's a whole different type of life, but it, it it is very rewarding. It's a very small space to live in. Um, we get a lot of time with each other as a family, which is amazing and um, that's why we're doing it. I mean, we're getting time with our kids that we would never get if they were at school all day. Um, and we can step on each other's toes a, a bit too. So that, that has its own challenges. You're a filmmaker and you are you working on the road? Yes, I am. We have a video production company called Zion Pictures. And so we serve clients, um, a lot of nonprofit clients actually, um, but other businesses as well. So I serve those clients while we're traveling. Uh, a lot of times I'll travel to the location for filming and then I'll bring the editing work with me on the road. And then as we're doing that, we're filming for a sequel to our first documentary. And that's been pretty exciting. So, so you're in the process of doing your second documentary, um, but let's start our listeners off with the first one. Uh, tell me about the first documentary and what prompted you to, to even start that documentary. Well, the first documentary that we made actually started after we had filmed it all. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. We didn't really intend to make a documentary. Um, my wife and I had hit some really hard times in our marriage. We had a, a young two-year-old um, and really needed to reconnect as a couple. Um, and there was a few things that led up to it, but essentially we moved out of our house. We bought an old motorhome and set out on the road. And the documentary that we ended up making is called The Far Green Country. It's a compilation of a lot of the f- sort of home video footage that we shot along the way, as well as a uh, myriad of artistic shots that I got just as I was practicing with my new drone. 
learning how to use a motion time-lapse uh, slider and filming the Milky Way galaxy. So it was sort of an experimental time for me as I was living on the road in beautiful places and just getting the chance to film them. We began editing The Far Green Country two years after we had moved back into our house. And that was prompted by the pregnancy of our second child, Isabel. And for anyone who has or will watch the documentary, The Far Green Country, which is available on Amazon Prime and iTunes and a lot of the online platforms, um, you'll get a better feel for you know who we are and, and, and what that season of life was about. What kind of reception did that film receive? When we first started editing The Far Green Country and shared it with some family and friends, we were hesitant about whether this would be received as a whole movie or if it had more potential. And we were very encouraged by the reception among our family and friends that they were just encouraging us to keep going with it and put it out there. Uh, it's a pretty vulnerable story as we get into you know, some of the um, challenges that we face in our relationship, my wife and I, and um, you know, learning how to be new parents and how the conflict of marriage can impact our parenting. So it was definitely a vulnerable piece of artwork to put out there. But it was amazing to receive the kind of feedback we did. The Far Green Country ended up in three film festivals and won actually two awards. One was a Best Doc Award at a film festival and the other was Best Cinematography. And then we also found a distributor called Indie Rights Films out of LA. And they are working with us to get it out on you know, all the major platforms. So that's been great just from the business perspective as a filmmaker. But ultimately, the reason that that my wife and I are doing this is to have a voice in the world, to share a message of hope and redemption. Um, and it's been so rewarding to receive emails, phone calls, text messages from people all around the world, really, um, the UK, Australia, and then a lot in the US of people who are just um, so touched and so inspired by our story, by the way we tell it. And, um, and I think it touches everyone in a slightly different way, but I, I never knew that we'd have the outpouring of response from our audience that, that we've received. What is it like to have a film on Amazon Prime? It's a little unnerving because it's our story in a very public forum. But at the same time, as a filmmaker, it is, yeah, it's a dream come true. I've always wanted my work to have an impact on the world, um, to be able to share a message with audiences, and and it's doing that. Was it ever your goal to have yourself on camera on a film that you've distributed? That's a great question. Um, no, I I never did step into it saying that I want to be on camera. Um, I'd say that's a bit of a just a result of the dynamic um, between you know, that I have in my relationship with Kelly um, and what we want to stand for as a married couple. I love film. I've always wanted to pursue it. And I think in some ways I saw myself as a writer, producer, DP kind of role. But the day-to-day -day life of someone who's in that role means leaving the family, leaving the wife, being with actors on set and a myriad of other people and then coming home late at night after a long shoot and then getting up and doing it again. Um, whereas my wife and I really have spent a lot of time working through what does it look like for me to be a filmmaker and us to be to have a healthy marriage. And 
a lot of that discussion has led in the direction of telling our own story, not because we want to necessarily have ourselves on camera. I know my wife really doesn't like it. I have to sort of coax her into it. And then I don't, I don't go after it. I, I'm not seeking to be on camera. However, um, I am the most readily available talent that I have in, in the world. And I am okay being vulnerable with my issues. And I think that it's not always easy to find people who are one, willing to be on camera and two, who are willing to be vulnerable and, and, and portrayed maybe not in the best light. So I'm willing to because um, sort of the, the end goal of um, having an impact, telling a story is more important to me than how I'm, how I'm seen. Yeah. And, and I know you're, you're a Christian, uh, you're a Christ yes. follower. Um, yeah. How does that play into it? Because I think being, you know, so open and honest as a Christian about your struggles in your real life. Um, talk to me about that. Well, I accepted Christ when I was in my early 20s because I came to a recognition of just my own, um, I struggle for the right word. Um, depravity is too religious of a word, but that's really what it is. My own craving for addictive things, my own need to satiate some sort of hole in me. And then also the a realization just of like my faults. I'm, I'm, I'm very faulty. I mean, I consider myself a somewhat intellectual or smart person, but I, I forget stuff all the time. I can't remember names. I sometimes say words that I think are, um, I sometimes am thinking a word, but a completely different word comes out and someone else has to say, did you mean to say that? No. Oh no, I didn't. Anyway, that's just, um, just to illustrate the point that, um, I need help in this life. And, um, and I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. And Jesus states that very clearly. And uh, it's really in Christ that I have a freedom to just be okay with that. And in being okay with that, I'm, I'm, I'm okay that other people know that I have issues. I mean, are, you, are your issues, to be quite frank, are your issues just that you don't remember stuff? No, no. Uh, issues go much deeper than that. I'm happy to share some about that, but I think that one thing I am pretty passionate about with the Far Green Country series is that this is really not about me trying to, um, you know, press impress my faith uh, background on anyone. It's not about me or us, Kelly and I, um, trying to get people to go to church or read the Bible or anything like that. We're we, we certainly have a, a worldview that influences the way we see the world and the way we interact with it and the type of message that we would share with the world. But I think both my wife and I have, have seen the, the negative ramifications of how religion does push people away from the truth or what we find as the truth. And, um, and we didn't want to make a film that was, you know, a typical... Um, Christian or gospel or Jesus faith-based film, um, although we do bring in our our worldview and 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 uh, quotes from authors that that we respect.
I've talked with uh, both you and Kelly a little bit about social media. And I remember when you both kind of were shying away from social media, from Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And uh, I think especially you. And I encourage you both to get on there because I knew that your story was interesting. And I, I believe that it could resonate, you know, in that um, platform. What has that transition been like to go from being very private to um, being out there more and more on social media? Yeah, social media is such a powerful and dangerous tool, just like anything that is um, a tool. Um, nuclear energy uh, is incredibly useful and incredibly destructive. Just depends on whose hands it's in and what its intended use is. So I think that the same thing would go for social media. Um, you know, there are some incredible dangers to it. One, you know, just the the very addictive nature of um, being drawn into other people's lives. Um, uh, comparing the comparison is the thief of joy, um, and the actual psychology behind the dopamine hits when we receive likes or shares on our posts um, is, is real. Um, and there's a lot of studies that relate, um, you know, higher use of social media to higher degrees of depression or higher incidences of depression. Um, so my wife and I are pretty aware of that and, and don't want, you know, want to just guard against that. And then, then at the same time, it really is the only marketing and um, not marketing, but PR for us, it really is the only PR platform to engage with the world beyond the film that we have. Um, it's also what uh, our sponsors want us to be doing. It's what our distributor wants us to be doing. And um, our distributor knows that there is correlation between more investment in social media platforms and the viewing of the films that they represent. And so they want us to, to do that. Um, so we've taken that on and, and it really is, I mean, it is a joy to interact with people, to share our photos, to share our stories. And um, I mean, I, I, I really love that we have a, um, call it a brand that stands for something like it does. It's a, a brand that stands for beauty and hope, restoration, um, for bearing through hard times, through seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Tell me about the brand, the Far Green Country. Like, what does that mean? Well, there are some who read J.R.R. Tolkien who may know the quote verbatim, um, but I need to look it up because my mind doesn't work like that. <laughs> Are you a Tolkien fan? Oh, I, I love Tolkien. I, I, I've read The Lord of the Rings twice through the, the trilogy, and I've seen the movies thousands of times, probably. I love the imagination of Tolkien, and I love the way that he uses the allegory to just so exemplify what the gospel means to me. And I really want to read it because for your audience who doesn't, I kind of like, we kind of like to keep it a, not a secret, but, um, you know, the name of the film really stands for our faith. It stands for the hope beyond this life, which is actually in some ways what our next film is about. So the name, the far green country, you just need to envision 
the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Pippin standing with Gandalf. Pippin says, um, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. And Pippin says, what? Gandalf, see what? Gandalf replies, white shores. And beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad, says Pippin. And Gandalf says, no, no, it isn't. So that would be the reference to the far green country, though it seems like a fitting title too for the, the far green country through which we travel as we're living in our motorhome. Tell me about the, the new film, the sequel, and how that relates, as you said, to this uh, title and this quote. Well, my dad, my father, passed away February 14th, 2019. So as of the recording of this podcast, a year ago in two days. And he died of pancreatic cancer. It was a sudden onset. And he had a form of dementia that accompanied it. And so, obviously, I, I miss him deeply. And there has been varying degrees of grief over the past year and a half as I've worked through that. He, he lived about seven, eight months uh, with, the pro- the, with the diagnosis of terminal cancer that I had to be with him and tell him I loved him and ask him stories and ask forgiveness for the way as I was hard on him as a youth. So in a lot of ways, um, I'm very thankful that I had the, the time with him at the end of his life to sort of wrap things up and to say my goodbyes, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy that he, that he, that he died. Right in the wake of my father's death, I, I put together a memorial film of his life uh, using some interviews that I conducted with him and a host of photos and some B-roll I shot of him. And that was sort of a way that I was able to grieve right in the days following his death. And it was so powerful for me to be seeing his face again and hearing his voice and working with that material and helping him tell his story. Um, we showed that at the memorial service and um, that was just beautiful. There was you know, a dry eye in the room, I don't think. And, and so it made me want to carry that story on further and it made me want to continue pressing into grieving and what it looks like to grieve. I know that I've recognized throughout my life when um, peers of mine, um, would pass away like uh, friend Frank, he died from a snowboarding accident in high school. And there's been other friends um, very near to me who've done stupid things and passed away in tragedy. And my reaction is to say in my heart, goodbye, I'll miss you and not attend the memorial, not grieve, not press into it because man, it's painful and I don't know what to do with it. And when my dad died, I just, I knew that I couldn't treat this death, 
the same as I've treated death before. And so I wanted to, I wanted to head out on the road and I wanted to go visit some significant places with him. I, I longed to go back to my house that I lived in when I was first born, where I remembered my first memories of my dad, um, wanted to go to the Smoky Mountains, Great Smoky Mountains, where I remembered a backpacking trip with him early on and a couple other places and wanted to just sort of get away from the everyday routine so that I could um, just ask the question, what does it mean to grieve? So that's what this film is about. And honestly, it's somewhat selfish in that I want to make sure I grieve well, and this is the way I process it. And so I guess in the end, my hope is that through sharing my process with the world that it may inspire or help help bring healing to some other people out there too. What are the ways that you're processing in this newest film? What kind of people are you interviewing? What kind of ideas are you exploring? Or what kind of illustrations are you using? There's definitely a great cast of characters in this new documentary, which uh, its title is The Far Green Country, semicolon, at road's end. And we actually have a teaser that should be released by the time of this podcast posting. Um, so people can actually meet some of the, the people that I've interviewed and talked to and get a feel for where we're going with the direction of it. Um, but to answer your question a little bit deeper, um, one of the characters is named Kyle and he was in our first film. We met him in Joshua Tree National Park um, just sort of impromptu interview with him because he seemed like such a great traveler and I just wanted to get his story. And then we ended up making the movie and he was in it. So it just so happened that Kyle's mother passed away in this, during the same month that my dad passed away last year. So we set out for North Carolina to meet him uh, fairly near his home. We met him. He took his camper out and we met him at a state park and had just an incredible time together processing the death of our parents and what we've been through. And we sat around a campfire and talked for a couple hours and, you know, had, had, the, uh, had the cameras rolling for all of it. So that's kind of the format for which this film is, is going to be made. Um, it's, it's my real live conversations in processing my father's death with other people who have, have gone through this, are going through this, or even in some cases, a few older gentlemen, similar age as my dad was, who are looking at death coming and I'm asking them, how are you preparing? Like, what, what are you doing? What's the most important thing for you in these, in these final days? And there's something powerful about that because as the teaser clearly states, I believe that everyone knows that we're going to, that, that we're going to die someday, but we just sort of push it under the carpet until like the last couple of years or something, or until we get old. And by doing that, it sort of jumps up on us and surprises us, or it seems like really a really bad and terrible thing, this death. Yet we are born into this world with the promise that we'll leave this world. And so I don't know why we should all be so surprised by it. And um, that's kind of part of the conversation, not to belittle death in any way, because it hurts. Loss hurts. And, 
And it's not just death. It's not just lost through death. It's lost through losing marriage, lost through losing um, legs. One of the characters that I interview is an old friend of my wife's named Billy. And Billy lost the use of his legs in a tragic accident in college. And he's been in a wheelchair ever since. But he has since gone on to create Billy Footwear, which is in Nordstrom's and you know very well distributed shoes um, made for the adaptive community so that people who have little dexterity can take off and put their shoes on and wear a shoe that has laces and looks somewhat normal. But it's also being picked up by everybody because they're easy to use and, um, and, and look then, and they look good anyway. So we interview Billy and he talks about the grief of losing his legs and what that journey has been like for him. So, um, it's, it's an opportunity for me to sort of recognize that the grief of the passing of my father is one is one degree of loss. And it's one that we all deal with, but there's also tragic accidents that, that people are dealing with. And mine, I in no way am coming across saying that, you know, I've, ha- I've gone through this horrific thing and I'm grieving now. No, that's not the case. I'm going through a normal process of grieving the death of a parent. But it needs to be recognized, I believe. And that's what one thing I've, I've, I've sort of come to and through all these interviews and talking with people and reading books is that to not grieve, to not press into it, to not let the emotions come um, is to just po- postpone it until it sort of cannot, can no longer stay in the box. So at this point, is the film completed or are you still in the process of recording? At this point, the film is unofficially wrapped. I say that because um, I'm actually now moving on to a, a undisclosed third documentary topic that uh, you know is kind of in the works. Um, and I've recorded the bulk of, of the footage for the grief film. However, um, I, there are a few holes that we'll still be filling over the coming months. Um, but yes, so the, the footage is mostly in the can and I am beginning to go through it and and piece it together and then do you have any plans of how you'll promote that will you tour with it or um do festivals or what does that look like it's undecided at this point i think there's a good chance we'll just take it straight to um straight to online platforms i think that you know if we get into some festivals with it we'll play it there and then we'll wait but um you know, touring with a family, we did it for our first one. And I think it was helpful, but man, it took a toll. It's, it's very, very difficult to be touring around and setting up shows. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. So talk to me about life on the, on the road, living in Winnebago with your family. Um, what is that like? The Winnebago adventure that we're in is really a beautiful piece of machinery. Um, the engine runs great. Um, has a full slide out. I, we feel totally spoiled in some ways uh, and blessed, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a dream come true. Um, we really like working with Winnebago and we're happy to, you know, to speak well of it because it really is a nice rig. Um, and it makes traveling very pleasant. We've done almost 15,000 miles in it. So we do a lot of driving, but we also try to find places where we can settle down for two to five or seven day stays and um, kind of get into a rhythm. I'm sitting here right now watching murmurations of sandhill cranes fly around in the southern Arizona desert. 
Um, there's 16,000 birds at this site we're at, and they're just flying around and making loud noises, and it's beautiful. So it's the kind of thing that we would never experience if we were in our house in the little neighborhood where we would usually live. A lot of benefits to it. Um, it's also very challenging, and we're pretty clear about it in our first documentary that you know going on the road and living full time on the road is is in no way a, a, a fix all for problems. It really, if anything, intensifies the problems because uh, we're in such a small space and um, stepping on each other's toes at times and. Um, there's a lot of additional stressors as well. You know, it's the question of where are we going to camp tonight? Um, going to a campsite and finding it's full. Okay, well, let's go on to the next one. And sometimes sleeping in rest areas, um, which isn't all bad, but it, it does add a, a significant amount of stress. Uh, one of our counselors, you know, said like, you know, it's one thing to live life on the ground. It's another thing to, to be walking on a high wire with a family and, um, we can, we have the skills to walk on the high wire. The allegory is, you know, living on the road full time with our family, but um, it takes a lot more focus and dedication and perseverance to stay focused and, 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 uh, and not falling off that high wire. Um, so I believe that we'll be coming to um, a, a close of this season in the next few months. And it's, it's a welcome close because as much as we do love living full time on the road with, as a family, um, we, after a year, are, are, are ready to, um, to have a, a little bit more consistent lifestyle. So does that mean getting a, moving back into a house? Potentially, yeah. We're, we're, we're not sure. We're not sure, honestly. We, we have a lot of plans up in the air. It's kind of fun. It's exciting. I mean, and it's stressful. So um, if anyone's thinking about doing it, go for it. And know that it's not easy. It's not vacation. Yeah, and I know you actually have, um, in terms of having time to yourself, you've got a family right outside your door right now, probably looking to get back in their home, don't you? They are, yeah. They were out watching the birds flying around, but the sun's setting, it's getting cold, um, and uh, and they're wanting to come in and have me make some dinner for them. So I do need to um, to attend to them. Before we go, though, how can people find you? How can people find the Far Green Country and Eli Pike and Zion Pictures? Just start Googling the Far Green Country. The film is on Amazon Prime, iTunes or Apple TV, Vudu, 2B TV, which is a free platform, YouTube. And our social media sites go by the Far Green Country. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel under our parent company, Zion Pictures. But uh, you can Google YouTube in the far green country and you'll, you'll see our video updates. That's great. Thanks again for being on American Podcast, Eli. You're welcome, Shane. You have a good night. You too. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Feel free to reach out and connect if you are enjoying the episodes. If you didn't already make the connection, Eli is the brother of Samuel Pike, who was on the inaugural first episode of American Podcast last year. If you've not heard that episode, I strongly recommend checking it out as well. We appreciate your support. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and share with your friends. This is Shane Simonson signing off until next time.